Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the MedTech Matters podcast, where we learn about somebody impacting the medical device industry. I'm Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPO and host of the podcast. In this episode, we're speaking with Justin Bard, orthopedic surgeon and founder of OssoVR. Thanks for joining us today, Justin. Thanks for having me. So, uh, so let's, let's just start, you know, with the basics. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Oso VR and specifically your, your virtual reality-based surgical training platform? Yeah, you know, the history of Oso VR really starts uh, prior to my uh, entry into college where uh, I was really dead set on becoming a video game developer, very passionate around computer science and, and how games were made. But as I neared graduation, I had a family member who became pretty ill, and I began to wonder if there's a way to use software and technology, not for entertainment, but to help people. So I pivoted Mm -hmm. from computer science to biomedical engineering at Cal with the goal to invent healthcare technology. But at the time, I really didn't know how to get started with invention. So I was seeking advice from a mentor of mine who told me something very wise. He told me, if you want to invent something, you need to understand the problem you're trying to solve first. And he felt the best way to understand medical problems was to be a doctor. So he helped mm-hmm. me get into medical school at UCLA, and then I stayed there to do my orthopedic residency. And then I did a fellowship in pediatric orthopedics at Boston Children's Hospital and Harvard. And it was really during my training that I experienced this problem firsthand, which is, I think, one of the biggest problems we face in healthcare today, which is how we train and assess our healthcare professionals with their technical skills. And I would be in surgery after surgery where you know, someone would be like, hey, Justin, go scrub out, Google what we're doing, try and find what we're looking for, a technique guide, YouTube video. Um, it, and, you know, I thought to myself, this is pretty crazy the way it works. And <laughs> what, what I saw as the core dynamics were, were really three key things. The first is there's too much to learn. So we're kind of victims of our mm-hmm. own success. Accelerating science and technology has massively expanded the library of procedures that healthcare professionals are expected to know how to do at a moment's notice. I always tell this story, it's kind of an extreme example, but one time I was just eating lunch and I was urgently called to the zoo to operate on a gorilla. We're driving over there Googling, you know, do gorillas have bones? Why are they calling us? It was a pretty amazing experience, but just to highlight the extreme nature of you just never know what you're going to deal with in a given day. The second part of the problem is the increasing complexity of the procedures themselves. So this is something that you cover quite extensively, right? Newer technologies, robotics, patient-specific implants and guides, navigation, all of these tools that are better for patients and higher value tend to be harder to learn. They have longer learning curves, maybe like 50 to Mm -hmm. 100 cases instead of 10 to 20. The final part of the problem is a general lack of assessment of technical skills in healthcare. So once again, I always tell this story as an example. The only time I've actually been assessed for my technical skill, objectively, I was interviewing for a residency spot, and they had me play the board game operation and had me try and remove a plastic piece without buzzing, which I did, and I'm very proud of, but uh, sort of state of the art right now. Um, And, you know, the data really (laughs) backs up that this is a serious problem. You have 31% of graduating residents pre-COVID could not operate uh, without some form of supervision You have over 95% of residents doing additional years of training, and lower-skilled surgeons have five times higher mortality than their higher-skilled counterparts, as demonstrated by New England Journal of Medicine and supported by a recent JAMA study as well. So it was seeing all of this firsthand that I also was still involved in the world of gaming. 
And I encountered virtual reality very early with the Oculus Rift Kickstarter, put on the headset, right. and immediately recognized its ability to solve this problem. You can use it anytime, anywhere. You can train on any procedure using your hands in a realistic way. You can get objective assessment, and you can train as a team and train remotely. So that's kind of how the concept for Oso VR was born. And being a, a pediatrician or a pediatric orthopedist and very committed to the mission of caring for children, I wanted Oso VR to also have a mission. And our mission is to improve patient outcomes with better education and assessment, increase the adoption of higher value medical technology, and democratize access to surgical education all around the world. So uh, founded the company uh, with a professional game developer in October 2016. Since that time, we have shown in two level one randomized clinical trials that OsoVR improves surgical performance anywhere from 230 to 300% uh, when compared with traditional training. We're home to the world's largest VR surgical training library. We're uh, being used in about 20 countries. We work with 12 medical device companies. We partner with 20 teaching hospitals. Uh, we, our team is now over 50 people hosting the world's largest wow. medical illustration team for any company. And a lot of this recent success and traction is thanks to uh, a $14 million Series A, which we closed, which was led by Kaiser Permanente Ventures, uh, which has been just a very exciting inflection point to us. So I'll stop right there, but kind of a high-level overview of the, the history of OSAVR and, and what we're trying to do in the world. Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of exciting things happening. Uh, and I know we've spoken, you know, a couple times in the past at, at various events, whether it be AOS or, you know, another industry event. Um, but the, uh, the – and, and you, you meant you touched on it briefly, but I want to I wanna, uh, call it out. And that's the fact that, you know, obviously this is a surgical training platform, so you immediately think, hey, this is fantastic for – uh, training surgeons and, and getting them proficient with certain procedures, but more to ODT's audience or, you know, even MPO's audience, that is the device manufacturer side, the ability to work with them and introduce and roll out new systems and new surgical uh, solutions using the VR platform as a, as a, a way to uh, introduce it to surgeons and get broad, you know, broaden your introduction. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a unique kind of opening in the market that we noticed very early on where I was being flown out to courses in Hawaii, Florida, to learn to use these amazing new medical technologies, navigation, robotics, uh, minimally invasive techniques, things that are better for patients generally, and, and I'm very excited about as a technologist. I would get the opportunity at these courses to practice one to two times on the actual device, and then actually getting to use the device could sometimes be months later. And as we discussed right. before, the learning curve in general on these newer technologies is like 50 to 100 cases. So mm -hmm. I would be using a technology with a team that, you know, maybe a couple people had used the device once or twice like six months ago, and the case just did not go very smoothly. There were a lot of problems, a lot of issues, felt very cumbersome, slow, and people would feel that this feeling like, hey, this device is it's not safe, it's slowing me down, I'm going to stick with the older technology that I'm more comfortable with. And I felt it was really slowing the adoption of, of technology that is better for patients. Another issue is, like I was talking before, there's, just, there's so much out there now, and it is very hard to even know what technology is available or what it does because it's getting so complex. So the ability to right. explore these technologies I felt was very limited. The only way you really got good exposure was to go to these big conferences. 
uh, like Academy and AUKUS and things like that. And now here we are in the COVID era where that one opportunity we had to discover technology is now pretty much gone for the foreseeable future. Um, And the ability to train as well has been severely limited. And we don't know what the post-COVID era is going to look like, um, but there is a general consensus that some of these restrictions uh, in terms of travel, reps being able to come to the OR, are going to remain. And, And we need some new way for us as surgeons to be able to explore these technologies to determine what we want to use for our patients and then to learn to be proficient in them. Um, and there's also just this, this increasing fact that there, there's really no surgery that we do that isn't tied to some kind of technology as well. So it's really critical that we have a deep understanding and high level of proficiency with these newer technologies. So um, mm-hmm. from the early days, we realized that, you know, especially when VR was early, it was kind of creaky and frictiony, you know, it's not a perfect technology. It's still now it's quite mature and amazing, but we're like, right. where is the need to have propos- value proposition? Where is an existential problem where people aren't going to care if the technology is not perfect yet? And that really was in the orthopedic device industry. And we were able to get a very rapid traction um, in order to sort of help expose people to newer technologies and then get them proficient in them by either supplementing or replacing traditional training modalities to drive long-term adoption of these higher value technologies. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I'm, I'm sure you're well aware of some of the other VR uh, offerings out there within the orthopedic surgical space, um, but it's interesting to see that there are differences between them, and each one kind of offers different benefits. Some are, some are, you know, on the surgical training side. Some are, you know, within the OR itself. Some are, you know, for an, a different application. So it's, it's great to see this, this technology being incorporated and being introduced. Uh, um, you know, but I have to say, uh, I think you were the first company I met with uh, for, you know, virtual reality within the orthopedic space. Um, so it, it, from my from my viewpoint, you're a little bit ahead of the curve, which, you know, given your growth and everything, I think you're still kind of ahead of the curve, um, you know, in terms of, of opportunities and, and what you're putting out there. Um, so speaking to this technology, you know, it, it seems like within the last five years or so, we've seen a lot more of this advanced technology, uh, you know, whereas orthopedics is, is typically a more traditional or at least viewed as a more traditional, uh, slow to innovate. Uh, you know, you look at knee implants and overall they're still relatively similar to what they were 10, 15 years ago. Um, but now we have sensors, VR, augmented reality, robotics, uh, you know, all these fantastic advancements. You know, you as a surgeon and a medical device professional, what's your impression of the new influx or the influx of this new innovations in the orthopedic space? Yeah, I mean, you bring up a great question. Um, you know, it's the, the challenge we face in orthopedics now is, is not really, um, you know, what we're putting inside people, but really who we're doing it on, so surgical decision-making, and then how we're doing it. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's not – at this point, you know, you could spend hundreds of millions of dollars of innovating on a new knee uh, replacement, and, you know, you're going to move the needle very little. But we know that if you train the team, assess the team, if you have a remote monitoring and navigation, that all of these things combined 
are going to move the outcome in a much more positive direction than the improvements on the implant itself. So we've known this for some time, but, you know, it's, as you say, it's a slow-moving industry. There's a lot of inertia. But now all of a sudden there's been a seismic shift where we have to completely revamp how we deliver care, uh, both in terms of the medical device industry and also on the institutional side and, and uh, primary health care delivery. So, you know, part of that you mentioned in your questions is, around the sort of growth of the telemedicine industry um, as we've had changes in, in reimbursement models and regulation that it makes it much easier to set up a functional telemedicine practice. Um, you know, the, the question marks around telemedicine, I mean, there's been obviously a huge amount of growth and some crazy mergers uh, like with Teladoc and Livongo. We don't understand the consumer behavior here yet where you know, there's a massive growth in demand, and then you saw you saw it kind of tail off a bit um, as kind of COVID restrictions uh, eased up a bit. People were returning to their mm -hmm. old habits. So we don't know long-term what that's going to look like, but certainly there's been uh, a, a permanent shift, and uh, I think a general trend to that direction. Similarly, uh, for surgical care models, you know, there's there's been a lot of interest in ambulatory surgical center models for joint replacement and other orthopedic procedures for some time. And, and this is really pushing uh, everyone to move in that direction because no one wants to be in a hospital for longer than they have to right now and probably for the foreseeable future. So if there's a technology that enables treatment in an outpatient setting as opposed to an inpatient setting, there's, there's a huge huge driver to, to use technologies like that. So things like patient-specific guides uh, is a great example where it's like, you know, a lot of people assume that these are utilized because, you know, you can get more accurate cuts and it's more personalized care, but really the, the benefit is the reduced instrumentation where, you know, these are sets that can be used at ambulatory surgical uh, centers because uh, there's a lower cost of sterilization and also sort of the footprint that it takes up is much lower. And so there are sort of, you know, counterintuitive technologies and approaches that, that enable outpatient care that there's been a big shift to. And then there's how we mm -hmm. support treatment and the supply chain. And so there has been so much interest in basically the digitalization of case support and training. So part of that is what we do at OSO with VR training and assessment, making sure that the surgeon, the rep, and the surgical team are all as proficient as they can be before they enter a hands-on training experience or their first case. But also interoperatively, you want to have additional support. So, you know, ways uh, to utilize navigation and robotics, especially in the outpatient surgical setting, uh, to reduce outliers is uh, of great interest. And then supporting those cases with technologies like you see that Avail raised $100 million uh, just a couple weeks ago, and this is a technology that allows you to see what someone else is doing, um, you know, halfway around the world and support those cases right. as a KOL faculty or educator, um, and also similar technologies like Scope AR. And then there's some interesting uh, sort of case coordination solution, so something like Explorer Surgical. There's a company acquired by J&J called FPI where you can actually track the efficiency of a surgical team and also help direct everyone what they do on a step-by-step -step basis. Um, and then finally, like, uh, you know, some augmented reality solutions for navigation, uh, like Augmetics is also very interesting where you can get navigation with a much lower footprint um, without a large capital equipment purchase. And so things like this uh, are also quite uh, interesting. Uh, really just scratching the surface, and there's the whole post-operative care technological spectrum uh, where you can create feedback loops and optimize to decrease the risk of readmission um, and uh, major complications. So, like, the <laughs> everybody is running towards these solutions, 
um, because it's, it's been known that this has been needed for some time, but now it's like uh, it's an emergency, right? It's like you can't function without these things in place because you can't travel, you can't physically be there. So it's been really interesting to see an entire industry shift so rapidly and to be at the center of it all. Well, I, I think when you have a, a, you know, obviously you have generation after generation, and they're, and they're learning from the previous generation. But I think now you're, you're finally getting to a point where, you know, the, the, the old way of doing things is, is being revealed is not, it's no longer the best way. Um, and you have plenty of uh, uh, surgeons who are willing to try out these new technologies and then thereby, you know, the next generation behind them is then training under them, you know, on these technologies. And, you know, you're going to, you're quickly getting the adoption uh, to increase with the new generation of, uh, of surgeons coming in that are very much interested. Uh, and also I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of people out there, frankly, like yourself who, you know, you know, may, maybe in their teens, maybe in single-digit years, they were into video games. And, you know, when you see these technologies, it's exciting and it's, it's very interesting to them uh, that they can incorporate that into the, into the surgical OR um, and, and have these offer real-world solutions. Um, so w- one, one uh, final question before we, before we wrap up, um, you know, I don't know if you offer this already, but if not, I'm wondering about, you know, future of Oso uh, VR, and that is uh, the personalized healthcare space. Um, given that, you know, we have obviously additive manufacturing where it's, it's allowing us to personalize medicine, and we have different technologies, patient scans that are being incorporated. With all these technologies in place, do you see uh, uh, a, futuristic or a, uh, an upcoming technology where Oso VR can be used to train for a specific patient case, uh, you know, using patient scans so that there are essentially no surprises. I, like I said, I apologize if that's already in place, uh, but it may be something that's in development or may, may be something you're unwilling to talk about, but just putting it out there. Oh, yeah. No, it's a great question. What you're describing is commonly referred to as mission rehearsal, um, where, you know, you're loading in specific case data and, and, you know, practicing on it by yourself or with the team uh, to kind of get everyone familiar with what's going to happen and also uh, to sort of develop a plan or confirm that your plan is the optimal one. So we we do have patient-specific cases, so we'll load in CT or MRI data into our simulations. Um, We certainly have mission rehearsal on the roadmap. It is coming a bit down the road as we're solving some Mm -hmm. of the more fundamental training issues. But related to personalization, what we are doing actively is personalizing training and assessment for our healthcare professionals. And so, you know, when you think about it, when someone runs through a residency program, like it's the same program for every single surgical trainee, but different residents probably have different needs. And so by assessing them, you can understand where are they strong, where are they deficient, and how to optimize their experience to make their uh, learning more efficient. And ultimately, what we really need to do, we, we have a, a very startling shortage of healthcare providers that COVID has really uncovered for us, right? You see doctors mm-hmm. being called out of retirement, med students being forced to graduate early. So we need to find ways quickly 
to get more efficient in terms of our healthcare provider supply chain. So part of that is, you know, making college and med school shorter and more efficient, but also how we train people in residency. And right now it's time-based. So you spend five years doing your surgical training, and if you're ready sooner, you have to stay extra time. If you're not ready, you still get ejected into the system. So obviously that's suboptimal, and there are certain systems experimenting with what's called competency-based training. Um, you know, there's some uh, residency programs in Canada that have done some experiments in this model where you can actually get more providers sooner if you do this personalized training where you, you tailor the training to where they're at and also assess them very frequently and provide simulation. So um, in a sense, yes, we're going to provide personalized training for patients, but what I'm more, almost more excited about is personalize the training for our providers to get them what they need and not just put everyone through the same cookie cutter system that is not the best for everyone. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that certainly makes sense. Um, one quick last question. Is uh, OsoVR uh, limited to orthopedics or does it have applications uh, available for other uh, medical sectors, you know, cardiovascular or uh, gastroenterology, you know, different, different areas? Oh, it's a great question. Yeah, we certainly got our start in orthopedics, and I have a personal bias towards that field. Part of it was <laughs> also where the technology was at and the needs of that particular sector. But we found that the unique technology that we built at OsoVR, this scalable content development platform, seems to be broadly applicable. So, you know, not only are we in uh, many specialties within orthopedics, but we're being used in uh, vascular surgery, thoracic surgery, uh, OBGYN, uh, just to name a few. So we're, we're definitely expanding uh, into other fields like cardiology, uh, et cetera. And, and we found that the, the way, the unique way that OsoVR works and that we train healthcare professionals uh, seems to be applicable to a broad range of specialties. All right, fantastic. Well, I'd like to thank Justin for, for joining us today on uh, this episode of the MedTech Matters podcast. Uh, unfortunately, that is all the time we have, though. So until next time, I'd like to say to everyone out there, thanks for listening.